ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank on Branham. It's the assistant to the regional manager and our queen bee, Joe George, behind the glass. It is a Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I trust everybody had a good weekend. Trust everybody had a good weekend. Good weekend, everybody? Good weekend. Good weekend. Listener, good weekend. Trust everybody had a good weekend. Uh, Did the Astros have a good weekend? Well, I mean, from your guys' perspective, you picked it. You you pegged it. They're only a game out now instead of two. It's just you wouldn't expect that losing two out of three would get you where you needed to go, but they did, and they escaped a bad weekend in terms of getting beaten a series by getting closer to the Rangers. What's our good, bad, and ugly? We do this each and every Monday. Good, bad, ugly. Don't ignore in... Uh... In victory, wouldn't in defeat, although the Astros lost two or three. So don't ignore positive, which you wouldn't in a loss. Uh, we always start off with the goods because we're overly optimistic on the killer bees. We we always look at the positive side of things. Why don't you start us off with some goods, Blankers? I'm, I like where Abreu's at. I like Abreu still hitting the baseball. I like the fact that guys that we were, a lot of guys we were questioning offensively, Bregman before that, it seems like the offense is getting better. So I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with the guys that are still producing and Chaz is still producing. And and even when Dusty's pushing pushing buttons and you're going, why is he pushing those buttons? Some of those guys are performing as well. And, and Yiner Diaz is in that, that, that good category because Yiner Diaz is doing everything whenever his number is called that you're expecting and more from a kid, especially that young, and you love having him in the lineup. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Dusty uses Yiner yeah. uh, Diaz. He had some comments about uh, how he's going to handle this team, and he doesn't like when people uh, do the the couch managing of this team because look, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want your expertise. He doesn't want any of that stuff. Uh, for the good for me is that you're one back. Like you had a great weekend. You did all the things that you needed to do just right, and you gained a game for the Texas from the Texas Rangers. You know, whenever we entered these these three games, when you entered the weekend, Astros are two back. You're one back now. We would have all taken that. We would have all taken the Astros being one game back doing this show on Monday. So even though you dropped two of three, now look, you had B-Lag going in one of those games. Uh, you would have liked to get, really, I thought the Friday game was the one that you wanted to get there, and you lost it there in the ninth. Ryan Stressley, the alter ego of Ryan Presley, showed up in the ninth inning, and Jose Siri, the Jose Siri experiment, kind of stole an extra base from you in that ninth inning on that leadoff double, the hustle double. But look, you gain a ground in the division over a series, it's good. Do I like losing series? No, especially series at home. There's some tiebreaker implications with Tampa Bay that now you've tied the season series. It could come down to like division record, which is a weird secondary tiebreak. But if you gain a game over a three-game series, it's good. It's good for the Houston Astros. It is. It is. I, I, I was qu- wondering from your guys' perspective, was that more on Presley or was it more on Siri? Because I thought series speed actually was the reason why they got that, that game-winning run. I, I felt like... He gave up the hit. He did give up the hit, but then, you know, Jolks kind of slow-played it a little bit, and it was enough to give a guy with as much speed as Siri to get to second. The tag in the score was basically, because, or, you know, the, the tag to get to third, and then the score was basically based on his speed. I think Altuve kind of told him to slow down a little bit, too, because he was excessively celebrating when he got to second. I thought so, too. Yeah, 
I and so, so too. I, you know, I, I get it. Presley gave up the hit, but I think that that was as much Siri wanting to send a message and get back at his old team and, and his speed killed uh, and that hurt. Um, but it's the same way. I didn't put too much stock, and I actually got a little annoyed by the home run fest late in the blowout game on Saturday night where I was like, okay, you're hitting home runs off a of position player. What did you want him to do, though? Ground out to short? I know. I thought about that, too. Like, what are you supposed <laughs> to do? But if you're dusty, too, I needed to see the, the, the Kessingers and the, the bench players in there a lot earlier when you got a 10-run lead. Like, it, it just, to me, I think that's annoying, and that's where I, I know people get annoyed by their stat padding. But you're right. You mean you don't want to be the position player that comes back off. I mean that comes back off a position player with an out. They care too much about their numbers. They're not giving away an at bat there. Now, you, did he? Could he have went to the bench a little bit sooner? Probably. I'm not, that's that's not a hill that I'll die on for sure. Do you have a good Joe George? Anybody have a good seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six? Yeah, we did home runs for like the the big four oh, guys. That's right. I thought I was going to get all five on Saturday. <laughs> All five? Oh, yeah. Because I predicted five. How many did they end up with? I think they hit three on Saturday. And it was first, all Saturday? First position players. It's like it almost <laughs> doesn't even count at all. Um, I, I would say like this, you know, even though Tucker like was 0 for 6 in the first game, like he's playing really well. Alvarez looks much better. I feel like, I mean, not that they looked bad in his first game, but just overall seeing the lineup constructed the way it was was really solid. And Pena looked like he was comfortable in the two-hole again. Pena so, loves hitting in the two-hole. Yeah, I, it's, I guess it's just like they're it's protection. giving more fastballs. It's a protection. He's get, it, I mean, yeah. it wasn't Jordan giving him the protection this weekend. It was Tucker. But, yeah, you have to challenge a two-hole whenever you have a really good hitter in the on-deck circle. You're going to see slightly fewer breaking balls. You're going to see more pitches in the zone. And, look, Pena's career numbers, he hits way better in the, in the two-hole. I would imagine that that's probably most people. Most people probably hit better hitting second than hitting eighth and having no protection, although Pena's not terrible hitting eighth. Uh, but it, you can tell that Dusty's trying to get Pena going. I don't love Jordan hitting fifth. I'm okay with it right now with him coming off a, an injury. It's a way for him to like maybe have one lesser at bat in a regular season game, which I don't want that in the postseason. But coming off an oblique injury, like maybe it's okay to have late July. Like Jordan hitting fifth is kind of weird to me. But I don't hate the logic from Dusty easing Jordan back in and then trying to get Jeremy Pena hot. Yeah, no, I'm fine with it too. And I think that, again, when we start talking about it was crazy that Altuve didn't go back to Sugarland, but Altuve seemed to find it and fit back right back in this weekend a little bit more. But overall, you know, and I was I watched. Unfortunately, I watched a lot of Rangers baseball this weekend because I needed them to lose based on what the Astros were doing too. Mm-hmm. But when I when I look at the fact that through the Rangers series too, and, and Jordan got tagged and got hit that you know right when he got back to the major leagues, um, the Rangers did it again this weekend and it made me think about it. And I'm like, see. From my standpoint, it's going to take Jordan a little bit longer just to kind of get back to because he is so impactful to this entire lineup and just to catch up with everything to hit the ball for average as much as for power. So I'm fine with him batting there for now. But I think that sooner rather than later, as we get you know close to three-quarters of the season behind us and we get this thing going down the stretch with the Rangers, I expect to see him sooner rather than later move up in the top three spot. Yeah, I don't like him hitting fifth. I'm not going to be super mad about it right now with him coming off the injury. And look, I think you need to get Pena hot. Like, trying to get Pena hot, you can totally understand that Dusty's trying to get Pena hot. Look, I thought the starting pitching was good with the exception of Brandon Belak, which is one of my oh, – I can't remember if I put that as a bad or an ugly. I put that as an ugly. Brandon Belak well, is an ugly. Stinks. Um, yeah, he stinks. We'll get into the uglies a little bit later. But the starting pitching, 
Look, Christian Javier, I thought, was really good. That first inning was annoying because he gives up the two-out walk, and then he gives up the three-run homer. You don't like to see that, but didn't give up a run the rest of the game. Struck out nine guys over six innings and only gave up three hits. This is the second start in a row where Javier surrendered very few hits, and he has struck out a lot. Javier is getting closer and closer to being Christian Javier, and that's incredibly encouraging. He had a quality start. Obviously, quality starts are overrated. But I'd rather have a starting pitcher have a quality start than not have a quality start. Seems pretty obvious, right? That was Javier's first quality start since June 15th, six starts ago. So it's nice to see Christian Javier pitch like Christian Javier. I completely agree. It looked more like the old Christian Javier. There was a lot to be excited about. There was a lot to be encouraged about in the fact that he can get back to where he was a year ago. And so I felt really good about that part of it. I felt more confident that he's going to end up being who they need him to be. So that that did make me feel better. The BLAC start, to me, it, it just gets more and more nerve-wrackingly, mind-numbingly painful. Every time he's on the mound, you're just hoping for a way that you can squeeze out a win because when he takes the mound, it is a crapshoot. He's either going to be dealing against a bad team or he is going to be BLACking against a good team. And be lacking is something that I've seen enough of to this point. That it's was just, uh, it's tough to watch. I don't want to see Brandon Belak make another start for the Astros in his career. Quite frankly, like if you need him in a long relief role to eat up innings in a blowout game, fine, that's okay. Like I don't care if he's eating up innings in a blowout game. And his line score yesterday doesn't look as bad as what it could have been because they changed a the unearned runs. a hit from an error. Like he gave up six runs, only half of them were earned. Brandon Belak gets. Shelled like Brandon Belak gets hit hard. Uh, I'm I don't need to see Brandon Belak. I rather look. And the Astros might not make a trade for a starting pitcher. In fact, Dana Brown says that they're not in the market for a starting pitcher. More on that later. I rather see Renel Blanco make those starts than Brandon Belak. They're getting Jose Arquiti back. Jose Arquiti pitched yesterday as well. I don't need Brandon Belak to make another turn in the rotation when Jose Arquiti is going to be on the same amount of rest as Brandon Belak. Of those three. Arkady, Blanco, Belak is the way that I rank them, and I would also rank them in terms of the order of me wanting to see them start a baseball game for the Houston Astros. Well, I'm going to throw Spencer Arigetti in there, too. He, like, I didn't include him I know, but because I, he's not under you know the 40-man. But we're at stuff. the point now where it's like if they want to go to a six-man rotation and they're not going to acquire an arm, Belak is not part of this equation. That's and probably a I conversation heard, for tomorrow at 5.01 p.m. But like I heard Dana Brown say 3.01. 5.01. 5.01. I, 5.01. Bet you a piece of coffee. 501 Central. I thought it was 4 Eastern was the trade deadline. You owe me a coffee. Actually, Blankers owes me a coffee. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I, just, I already said that. Yeah, to I me, was going to lose that bet. Like, we're at this Where do point, I get that gift card, by the way? Joe that's George. in my car. I'll get it for tomorrow. Sweet. Uh, we, just, we, don't, we don't need to see... We don't need to see this guy ever again. And Dana Brown on the flagship yesterday talked about how Belak could potentially move into a long relief role. Mm-hmm. No. 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 Like, he's not good enough to be part of this Astros roster as you're trying to chase down the Rangers. He can't be a long relief guy. He's mop-up duty. Yeah. That's all it is. I think that, that's kind of how I heard it, though, was that like long relief is kind of mop-up. Like You go eat three innings in a nine-run game. Like That's your role with the team. And every every team like usually has that kind of guy. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. And then also, look, Hunter Brown. I thought Hunter Brown was really good on Saturday. I thought it was stupid to have him start the seventh inning after another long half-inning. Dusty's Dusty tries so hard to get an extra inning out of starting pitchers and blowout games after they've been waiting for half an inning. Hunter Brown starting the seventh inning was was not smart. I hated that Hunter Brown started the seventh inning. But Hunter Brown through six innings was very, very good. And then he didn't get an out. 
in the seventh inning after a long half inning when the Astros were blowing out the Rays. Let's let's make sure that Parker Mashinsky doesn't pitch two innings. Let's make sure that Rafael Montero doesn't pitch two innings because Hunter Brown needs to save them from that sort of workload. I digress. The good was Hunter Brown. He pitched really good. Hey, Jerry. I thought he went. Man, we went back out there. So mad. You're right. I am wrong. You are smart. I am dumb. The trade deadline is at five o'clock. Oh, tomorrow. tell me something that I that I I'm already that I don't right. know. I, I admit my faults. I remember. I think you put something a note in the rundown last week. Yeah. Thinking it was at five, and you yep. put three. So I double checked. I'd actually already double checked. Well, it used to be at three o'clock. It was three o'clock last year. But you know that they've screwed around with everything with that damn deadline. So everything's different. Everything is more completely opposite of what they used to do. And I think they're going to have to change it again. I, I heard Dana on with uh, Blummer and TK on Friday talking about that there has been mention about different ways to, to move that deadline to a better time. He said he wants there to be a – he said that he wasn't in the meetings because he wasn't hired yet, but yeah. that he would like to have the deadline move back two weeks. Yep. I, yep. I think it makes sense. It does because you need to know that there are more teams that are sellers. Right now we know the White Sox, the, uh, the, the, White Sox, the Rockies – and the Cardinals are sellers. Other than that, we don't know. I mean, the freaking Cubs are pulling Bellinger off uh, off the market. So everybody else seems to think that they're buyers or that they're not selling anything. Yeah, there's not many sellers, that's for sure. 713-780-ESPN. You're good, you're bad, you're uglies. We'll get to the bad and uglies of Blankers and Joe. Fitting. Uh, 713-780-3776, the HRMP listener line. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm Jeremy Branham. We have a lot to get to. We're, let's see, let me do a quick math, 24, 29-ish hours away from tomorrow's Major League Baseball trade deadline. We have a mailbag uh, Monday that we'll get to. You can ask the Killer Bees whatever you want. But good, bad, uglies from the Astros series in which they gained a ground on the Rangers. It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights, but they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. I actually brought some honey to work today. Good, bad, ugly from the Astros weekend. What's that? I knocked it over. You knocked over my honey? I didn't see you do that. You weren't there. Because we were playing, we got the basketball hoop. Yeah, I brought the basketball pumped uh, up. Did did he he get out? Did he get the honey get out? No, I, I think we were okay. It's very honey's expensive. It's that's true. It's stupid how expensive it is. If you only have to use very little of it, I rarely use it, but some days you just have to. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Good bads and uglies. One texture said Jose Altuve's base running. Don't get thrown out on the bases when you're trailing in a yeah. game. And Altuve's known for horrific base like, running. It's incredible. <laughs> it, it was like it was one of those things where if he got the jump right away, okay. But still, because of the situation, how many runs you were down, and the fact that you hesitated and looked back. What's he looking back for? Don't risk it. <laughs> Just go back to first and no harm done, especially right after that when another hit occurred and you could have been in business to get an inning going, and instead you were the reason why there wasn't much of an inning to get going. And one of like, the best second basemen of all time. Yeah. He can't run the bases he at sucks all. At running it's the incredible. He's fast too. It's just like he's a bad base runner. He makes terrible decisions. He makes awful decisions on the bases. Like if you're gonna go, go. Why are you looking back? Yep. Why? Like once the decision well, is and made, what's Omar Lopez busted doing? and slide. He's the one that should be the one screaming, looking back and watching the play. Just tell him go or stay. I mean, I'm pretty sure he told him to go. Like, what is Omar Lopez going to tell him mid 45 feet between first and second? Hurry up! Like. Don't look back. Like, what is Omar Lopez going to tell him? I, I think it's more the – my point is it's more the coach's job 
once you make the initial decision, don't look back. It's the coach's job to watch the play and and try to navigate through what he's yelling to you. But at the same time, once you decide to either go or not go, and if you didn't decide right away to go and you look back, get your ass back to first base. That whole play annoyed me. Him looking back at first base really annoyed me. Uh, I think it was uh, who said somebody on the Twitch. I forgot. I apologize. Abreu's uh, defense yesterday in that first inning. It look it led to the beginning. Like just get it out there. He tried. He was urgently trying to turn two. He desperately wanted a double play. Make sure you have one. Make sure of the one out there. The inning ends giving up a run as opposed to giving up four runs, and it felt like game over after that first inning. Abreu's defense is is not good. Let's call it what it is. His his defense at first base is subpar. Let's also call that first inning not as much on Abreu as it is on Belak, though, when you start walking guys the way he was walking guys. Yeah, I mean, both of, both things can be bad, right? Yeah. Like, both of them are bad. Belak was bad. Abreu's play in that first inning was, was also bad. What do you got for the, the bads and some uglies here, Blankers? I mean, the first one to me, and I was caught between a rock and a hard place with these, but I, I'll just go with the defense overall. I, I just I continue to be disappointed with the way this team plays defense and the fact that it, it just seems like te- plays that are supposed to be either be routine or or are supposed to be fundamentally sound the way they play the game, just don't seem to be with the Houston Astros, and that's a shame. And yes, they can come up with some good plays, and they can come up with some stellar plays, but they also can come up with some real boneheaded plays and some plays that really put them in a hole, and I saw too much of that again this weekend. Their defense is usually their calling card over the like this golden era. This yeah. year it's been not been as not good. So good. Uh, and then they also they get themselves in some tough spots with their defense, too. I, I hate doing my bad. I hate doing my bad. I, I hesitate to do my bad. But because I'm always honest, transparent, Uh-oh, you and call dusty? it like I see it. No, 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 I'm not oh. going in dusty. I trusty. Okay. Except that seventh inning when you're pulling, you're putting Hunter Brown back out there. Let's let's save an inning for Parker Mashinsky and Rafael Montero, so they're not overly taxed at the expense of Hunter Brown. Not going to mention that ever again. I hate doing this one, Blankers. I hate doing this one, Joe. I hate doing this one, listener. It's coup gone coup crime. Oh, Corey Jolks on July sixth had a three for three game. He was hitting 289. I got to call it like I see it. I'm sorry. Go Kooks. He was three for three. He was hitting 289 on July 6th. That was his high water mark of the year. Since that day, Corey Jolks has played in 17 games. He has started 13 of those. He's had 54 plate appearances. He has 47 at bats. Guess how many hits Corey Jolks has since his high water mark of 289? Three. You nailed it. Did I? <laughs> you nailed I it. Got the answer was zero. <laughs> three hits. He's three for 47 in his last 17 games. That's pretty bad. He has an 064 average since July 6th. He has a 167 on base percentage since. And look, this is a 54 plate appearance sample. This isn't, you know, a bad week. He's slugging 085. His OPS, Corey Jolks' OPS since July 6th. And again, I hate that I'm doing this, but I have to because I owe it to you, the listener. He's in, he's OPS is 252. So, like, this whole, the Astros don't need a bat. Look, maybe they don't need a bat because you can have Jordan in left. Yiner can be a DH. But you know what makes this offense a lot better? A left-field DH who can yeah, hit. Depth. A left-field yeah. DH who can hit. Like, right now, it makes more sense for the Astros. If Jordan's your DH, if you know that Jordan's DHing that day and Yiner's not your DH, it makes more sense for Jake Myers to be in center and Chaz McCormick to be in left than running out there Corey Jolks every single day. It makes sense... It makes sense for Martin Maldonado to catch more games than Corey Jolks in left field right now. Yeah, look, uh, the thing to me is I was defending him because a lot of those outs were just unfortunate. He was he was still stinging the baseball. He was hitting them at people. He you know Blummer kept talking about it too at a certain point where you know it's just the baseball gods that sometimes they don't shine on you the way you'd like because he was stinging the ball. He was barreling it up. He was just hitting them at people. 
But I think that that's kind of worn off now to the point where whether it's gotten to him mentally as part of it or there's even more to it than that, he's just not getting a job done. And so that's why it's more hyper-important than ever before. It's not even just an insurance policy. You've got to get depth, but you've got to get the talent you need for this stretch run for the rest of this season. There are rental bats that are out there. There are guys that you can look at, but you've got to keep continue to look hard if you're Dana Brown because it's much like you and I talked about last week when I said, look, I love the fact that Corey Jokes has been one of these you know, uh, unforeseen stories of Cinderella stories that has helped this team. But at this point going forward, getting ready for the playoffs, he ain't ready for that yet. No, I think, look, I think perhaps they found the hole in the swing, right? Yeah. Like, there's been times he's lined out, but also, like, when he was hitting 289, he was getting a little, like, the week leading up to that, he was getting, everything was falling. Like, he was getting a little in, like, like the, uh, the end of the bat, falling into right center field, broken bat, infield single. Like, things were going in his favor, and now they're not. But, like, that's a position you can upgrade ahead of tomorrow's – what time, Joe? Uh, what time is the deadline? Five o'clock. Five o'clock. Ahead of tomorrow's five o'clock deadline uh, tomorrow. So, look, we got to call it like we see it. I hate I, – I love Jolks. He's my, my favorite Houston Astro. Yes, I'm biased towards the Houston Cougars. But you can upgrade there. You can upgrade in that spot. You all have some bads and some uglies? I have one more. But y'all go ahead. I didn't really love the lineup stuff this weekend. Just What's like, your biggest beef against it? I don't like Dusty's explanations. I just wish he would just say, it's my decision, stop asking. Facts. Versus going into, you know, Yanier versus lefties versus righties and what it looks like and the struggles he's had. Because then why is Maldi ever playing against righties? You know, why on Friday did we have to wait until like 5 o'clock to get the lineup? Because they were so worried that Martini Maldonado was sick. You're sick. He had to see the doctor first. Dude, why can't Diaz just catch Javier? Javier pitched well. With I know he did, but like, it's just, I, I don't get it. It's annoying. And it's not even, like, Dusty's annoying, and then I'm annoyed, but then the, the Twitter reaction's even worse. You're right. It's brutal. I, I wish that Dusty would just say it's my decision. That's it, because his excuses oftentimes don't add up. They're, they're true. All, they're hypocritical. Very true. Like the even the you you point to this one all the time, Joe. About well, Maldi needs to catch Brown in case Yiner's hurt. But then, how many times has Yiner caught Fromber? None. Zero. How many times has he caught Javier? I believe it's once. Yep. So like they don't always add up. And you brought up the the one that he said over the weekend where he's like, "Look, Yiner doesn't hit lefties. Okay, well, how about righties?" And then also like comparing Mark Martin Maldonado's numbers to Yiner Diaz's numbers and only looking at like home runs and RBIs when Maldi has far more at bats and plate appearances and not at all paying attention to like the average, the on base, the slugging. To me, watching Maldi gets more annoying every day because of the level of I don't care. It just seems like he doesn't have anything motivating him anymore to want to be dialed into playing good baseball. At the plate, it's a joke because he's just mailing it in. And he'd like to talk to the umpires more about the strikes than the ball that he actually swings at and misses or doesn't hit well and then loafs to first base. That that all is annoying to me. But like when you look at Yiner Diaz at the plate, the ball he hit out to center field, I wasn't sure he got all of it. I mean, he's... When he gets bat to baseball, good things happen, and he's he is more powerful than I ever thought he was going to be out in the major league level. This guy's got to be in the lineup more, and I'm tired of Dusty. You know, you do hear a lot of different major league managers and players say, "Well, I don't pay attention to what the media says, or I don't pay attention to what social media says." Dusty's got way too much time to be paying attention to things because he's annoyed by what other people think. And you're right. He just does whatever the hell he wants to do. Well, stop worrying about what everybody else thinks, but think about what's the right baseball thing to do. Yeah, like the answer, well, I'm trying not to get asked questions every day. 
it's kind of what you do as a manager. You talk to the media before the game. You talk to them after the game. Like you're gonna you're gonna get it. Like you shouldn't. Like yeah. Like just own it. Yeah, it's me. I'm doing this. I'm going to be the one that's making these decisions. Uh, seven seven eight eight. Yiner sample size versus lefties isn't big enough to draw that conclusion. Um, Yiner also didn't hit lefties in the minors. Like I think it's fair to be like. I think it's fair to know that Yiner does not hit lefties as well as righties. I think it's a fair thing to like manage with that idea and that principle. I don't know if you need to go out of your way to mention it whenever it's like you're not even asked about it. Um, six nine four one ugly Belak walking the bases loaded to start a game. Bad Abreu's error to save Belak's ERA. That that about sums up that first inning of that game yesterday. But the Astros gained a game in the division. Seven- my, my ugly, by the way, without question, is just Brandon freaking Belak. He's bad. I just I got to the point where he can't even just be bad anymore. He's ugly, and I don't want to see him on the mound as a starting pitcher for the Astros ever ever again this season. Preaching to the choir. 713-780-3776. All right, trade deadline stuff to get to tomorrow at 5. Uh, Dana Brown, it makes it seem like they're out of the starting pitcher market. That's what he told the flagship. Is that true? Is that the case? What he told the media? Let's discuss it. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, right now, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend, Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph procedure. If you don't know what it is, go to 975hair.com. But you, you know you'll need him if you look in the mirror every day and you see balding spots, pattern baldness. Maybe it's just already gone and you think there's nothing you can do to get it back. You just need to shave your head or try all those sprays and creams and foams that mask the problem. Nope. The Neograph procedure can solve it all for you, and it really is painless. It's a phenomenal procedure. I totally believe in it. I had it done. I couldn't be happier with it. You might be the next in line, and if you go to 975hair.com, you can sign up for an appointment, and it'll cost you absolutely nothing. Everybody else pays 150 bucks to meet with Doc Linville and his staff. You don't get charged a penny. There's no obligation, and you get to find out all the information and see if it's right for you, too. It's a fantastic procedure, and the one thing that really stuck out to me that made me make the decision is the fact that 95 to 99% of all the follicles that he moves are going to stay and grow and be with you for the long haul. Genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head no matter how bald you go on top or in front. That's why he takes some of that hair, puts it where you need it, it gets stronger and longer, stays with you for the long haul, and it turns out to be fantastic when it starts getting more hair and more coverage for you and your scalp. I can't be happier with it. Granado loved his procedure. You need to be next in line. Check him out today and tell him I sent you by. Go to 975hair.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. All right, Dana Brown says that... uh... Starting pitching might not be at the forefront. He says, yeah, you know, well, he told us to Heyman, right? Was it Heyman or Buster Olney? I can't remember. One of the media types. doesn't really matter. But the, the Verlander conversation? The starting pitcher conversation. Oh. Where they're like, hey, Dana Brown said that we're not really looking at for starting pitching right now. If we add a reliever, that's great. But if a starting pitcher becomes available ahead of the deadline, then sure, we might make a move. Uh, what'd you make of uh, Dana Brown's comments about perhaps not being in the market for a starting pitcher ahead of tomorrow's deadline at five. My first thought was he's playing poker. Like, you know what? It's the same thing we talked about all the way that I always go back to from the Brady saying he's you know, he's 99% full of BS when he talks to the media. He's not telling you what he really thinks. I think that smart general managers play the game that way. They're not going to tell you what they're thinking. They're going to tell you the exact opposite in most cases. But a lot of people are going to read that. They're going to buy into it. They're going to believe that. And then they're going to be pissed off or, or, or be left wondering, you know, why and asking questions. 
I think Dana Brown is just keeping his cards close to the vest. I'm sure he's monitoring everything. You know, everybody is kind of losing their bleeping minds because the Rangers are going so deep going for it that they're just throwing whatever they have to at the wind and going to try and get whatever they can to win. That's fine. But I think that when you look at it, Jordan Montgomery was a guy that if the market was a little more saturated with good starting pitching and a lot more and a few more teams were sellers rather than buyers or hold standing pat, I don't know that he would be towards the top of this list, though I do think he's an adequately good number three type starting pitcher. But the Rangers, to their credit, are putting all their cards in. They're just going to go for it. And yet you're still only a game behind them. And I believe that when you look at them head-to-head, and like I said, I watched them play a lot this weekend against the Padres. Their lineup does not scare me. The they Rangers? Ha- yeah. Oh, it no. scares me. No, because because now you've got um, Jonah Himes hurt. Yeah, might Se- be off of the year. Yep, Seager's got, uh, he just got a cortisone shot in his thumb, and he's going to try, try to start swinging this week or see where he's at. But they expect him to play again this year. Uh, this year, sure. But I think, just like we were talking about Corey Jelks, but maybe it's starting for Young at third base. Teams are starting to figure him out a little bit more and how to pitch to him. Now, Garcia is is a beast, and he has been an absolute bear against the Astros. I mean, they have the number one offense in baseball. I know that, and, and Seager is the same way, and, and he's a hell of a hitter. But I, I still look at that, and I say, okay, I don't fear Max Scherzer the way I used to. Jordan Montgomery, that's fine. That's a good ad. But I think that the most important thing for the Astros is to be healthy and to figure some things out. If, if Primarily, if you can get Javier to get back to Javier form, and like you, you and I both said, it looks like he's getting there. If you could figure it out between Hunter Brown and France, and it would be nice if he had both of them, but if those guys figure it out to where that they are you know, more good than bad, I think the Astros are still going to be in a good spot if they're healthy with their lineup. I don't think it's a 100% necessity for the Astros to trade for a starting pitcher. I think that they could win the World Series with their pitching staff as currently uh, constructed. All you need to do is pitch five innings and turn it over to the bullpen as of right now. And Dana Brown saying they might still add a starter? Okay, go give me four innings and turn it over to the bullpen. Because, look, I know Presley gave up, got the loss the other day. I agree with you that Presley didn't look bad in that game. He gave up a, what should have been a single to Jose right. Siri, and Siri turned it into speed. Tampa Bay manufactured a run. Um, so you turn it over to Presley. You turned it over to Abreu. I would throw Naris into the conversation. I would throw Graben into Graben, the conversation. I would, too. Those are four guys right now in every single playoff game. And in playoff series, you get more days off. So all I need a starter to do is go five innings, turn it over to the bullpen, hope they like they save a lead, or you have to come from behind a win. You can also out-hit teams uh, in the postseason as well. So I don't think that the Astros are to the point where if they don't trade for a starter, we can kiss the World Series chances goodbye. I think they can win a World Series now. Now, if you trade for a starter, it makes it easier. It makes it you have one more arm that you know if, if there's an injury, uh, you have one more arm in case you know Javier doesn't fully figure it out. If Hunter Brown hits the rookie wall, like I'd rather have a starter than not have a starter. That said, it does depend on the price. If you're talking Drew Gilbert and Jacob Melton for Justin Verlander, okay, well I'm just not going to go with the starter. I'm going to roll the dice with what I currently have. But as far as what Dana Brown said. I think there's a lot of different ways that you can take it. My first inkling is that I agree with you. Like he's playing poker. He's not, he's not showing his cards, but Dana Brown has shown his cards. Like Dana Brown has been very, very honest and transparent about what he wants to do at the deadline. He's talked over and over again about a left-handed bat. Even mentioned that the other day, he's talked about a reliever. He traded for a reliever. He's talked about adding a starting pitcher. 
I think that perhaps he's playing poker, maybe he's figuring it out a little bit. I think it I think it could very likely be that what the other teams are asking for are not within like reasonable conversations for Dana Brown. So he's letting the fan base know, look, there's a very real chance we don't add a starting pitcher because the prices are way too high on starting pitchers right now. We don't want to pay, you know, fifty thousand for a thirty five thousand sticker price. So I think that there's multiple like angles of what Dana Brown could be saying. He could very well be in saying, Yeah, we're not in the starting pitcher market because the prices are just too dang high yeah look i think that there's a couple things here too when you're looking at the fact that their farm system is more depleted than most and the fact that you know in any year but especially in a year where it seems like everybody thinks they got a shot so there's more teams that are competing for more players to see if they're available and if they are what they have to give up to get them I think the Astros are at a disadvantage, and there's no question about it because of the fact that they don't have those top 100-type prospects that everybody's keeping an eye on, those kind of enticing prospects other than a Drew Gilbert probably. And I think you got to be hyper-careful with him because he's one of the only guys that you have, and there is a path for him to have a significant role on this team in the future to where you don't have the kind of luxuries that the Rangers and the Yankees and some of these teams do that could just start throwing prospects at whatever team has a player that they need and know that they're going to be right in the mix. So I think that's very challenging for Dana Brown. And I think that he doesn't want to overpay because he knows if he doesn't, when you start talking about free agency and guys are going to be available at the end of the year, and you can still get some guys at the end of the year that are going to fortify this team so that they stay the, they stay the course and this golden era of Astros baseball continues. It's just not what the fans want to hear because they want you going for it every single year, and you're in the mix to do that again right now. Yeah, but if we listen to the fans, then Kyle Tucker wouldn't be here either. Yeah, I, what, like what Kyle Tucker, or got, you throw a bag. Kyle, Kyle Tucker would have got traded in 2017. Yep, like before it, he ever got called. Before up. he ever got called, Bregman would have been traded for Chris Sale. Exactly, that's true. Like, yep. it, uh, I get why fans want to do this, but like you have to keep some prospects. This is this is the punishment for cheating. This is this is the sign stealing scandal rearing its head. At the worst moment, because you have injuries and you wish you had those draft picks from those two years to go in and make those big moves, but you just don't have the bodies to do it. And like, I'm not, I'm not trading Drew Gilbert for Justin Verlander, which might be the price. Like, it, it could very likely be the price. Like Acuna, can you talk him into Leon? I mean, I doubt it. Like, it could, like the Rangers traded for Max Scherzer, who is pitching worse than Justin Verlander. They gave up the Ronald Acuna's brother, right, who right. it depends on where you look. Like one ranking has him in the top fifty. It's a ranking system that has not used the draft picks yet. And then I think Baseball America, which has already used the draft picks to, in their rankings, has him like like eighty seventh or something He's the like top that. 100. He's a top ninety prospect mm-hmm. on every single prospect list. And all, these prospect lists aren't like you know the holy grail. Every team has their own list that they put you know in higher regard than these you know. Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, things like that. But Acuna was a, is a top ninety prospect consensus. Like every single every single prospect ranking you look at, he's top ninety. Drew Gilbert's not on a lot of top one hundred lists. The Astros on a, on a on a few top one hundred lists do not have a top one hundred prospect. And Drew Gilbert's the closest they have to a top one hundred prospect. So Drew Gilbert is a lesser prospect than Acuna, and you're going after a pitcher who's been pitching better than Max Scherzer. So like I think Drew Gilbert's the cost at minimum. For Justin well, Verlander. But the only thing going in the Astros' favor in that regard is Verlander probably, when you're dealing with the Astros, it might be one of the only teams that he wants, he will accept a Scherzer trade. Scherzer had to. a no trade too, though. Right, but Scherzer was never coming here. He, he turned the Astros down in the past and right. said he didn't want to come here. But he could have said no to the Rangers. I get it. But what I'm saying is now that you're dealing with Verlander, Verlander's probably going to have a, a lot shorter list than, than Scherzer even had. And so, therefore, it might limit the Mets for what they can ask for because. You know you're only dealing with – it would be ideal if you were only dealing with the Astros 
And then it was like, well, if you're not willing to give us this, but you really want to get that money off the books, then you're going to have to try and either see it our way and, and take what we're offering and meet somewhere in the middle on money, or it's not going to happen. They don't care about the money, though. Like, that's the thing. Is that, like, under that scenario, you didn't bring up the other most likely solution is they just keep Justin Verlander. They have no problem keeping Justin Verlander if the, if the price tag that they're getting is very, very cheap. They spent $22.5 million on a prospect on Saturday. Yeah, but that, this is what I'm saying. They're trying to clear as much as they can, and, and I think they'll probably take a run at Otani. But I, I think that more so than anything else, if they're going to pull the plug, they just want to unload the the, what, the. Why do we think Steve Cohen's cheap? Like, why do we no, think I don't Steve think Cohen's cheap? I think money. he'd like to unload as much of that money as possible, so he can take another swing at it and it, spending a bunch of money in, in free agency I, I, I think and going do, forward. I think he does that regardless. Okay, I, I I think that with the age of these guys and the fact that he was already un, uh, able to unload one of them in Scherzer and he, pay twenty two and a half million dollars. I get it. But ideally, he would probably like to do it again and get Verlander off the books. And, and yeah, he's got to pay for the rest of the season or pay some of that money. But he doesn't have to pay all of it, the rest of it, the chance to have the vested come through. And, and then he can just, you know, reset the checkbook and, and try even more to try think, and get it. And I think that's right. what it really is going to come to Jim Crane. Because there has to be a conversation between Crane and Dana Brown of what a Verlander trade would look like. And it's going to come down to how much money the Mets are going to eat. Because if they're going to eat twenty plus million dollars for Verlander, it's going to cost you Drew Gilbert. If Jim Crane is going to say, "Well, look, we're not going to have Luis Garcia next year for most of the year. We need Verlander now, so just don't worry about the money. That might cost you less." I think to me, that's the the real going to be the 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 difference maker in this deal. You still have to give a real prospect, though. The, no, Mets, the Mets aren't just trying to clear money off their books. Like, the Mets have desire to be a winner next year. The Mets have desires to bring in good players. Like, if, if you think that you're getting Justin Verlander for just paying his contract, you're 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 mistaken. No, I, I understand that they're, they're still going to look to get a prospect or two. I, I just don't think that the Astros, to Joe's point, I don't think you have to give up Drew Gilbert, but it all comes down to the apples and, and, and oranges. Like, money's going to matter. How much are you absorbing? And then also the fact that if the Astros try and play hardball and say, you know, how badly do you really want to trade him? Because he, I think the other thing is going to be that he wants to win. And he said that in the audio of him that when they interviewed him this weekend, where he just said, I need to know what direction this team's going in. And if they're winning, then I want to be here and try and win a World Series for this team. If they're not, he would like to get out. And if he'd like to get out and he only says he wants to go to Houston or maybe one other option, with their options limited, they might have to take less than they'd otherwise yeah. like to. I'd keep them. I think Cohen. I think Cohen would. I don't know that he would. Seven one three seven eight zero ESP and HRP listener line. What do we think of the Graveman trade? It happened late in our show. We didn't even talk about how it was Corey Lee. Uh, how do we feel about the trade the Astros made Friday afternoon? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. John Morosi covers baseball for baseball. He uh, he says the Astros are in on the starting pitcher market. Says the Dodgers, Orioles, Astros, Giants, Rays, D-backs, Reds, Marlins, Phillies, Braves, and all their mothers are in the starting pitcher market. Look. He basically just listed all of baseball. Rays are in? Yeah. 
Why yeah. not? Why wouldn't you be? Like, it, like you're at least calling teams. Like, you're at least calling teams. Like, what's the price tag on Sonny Gray? Like, that, that means you're in. It might not mean that you're getting anything done. Like, Dana Brown even told, like, this tweet that went viral. Dana's like, well, you know, if anything changes, we'll be we'll get a starter. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, read the whole quote from Dana Brown. If something pops up, maybe we're in for a starting pitcher. Like, that's what general managers do. They call other general managers. They take their temperature on the players that they have. They see if a deal makes sense, and then they make the deal. Like, Dana makes a trade for a starting pitcher, wouldn't surprise me. If he doesn't make a trade for a starting pitcher, it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm not going to fear-monger anybody into saying that they must trade for a starting pitcher for the Astros to be World Series contenders. I no, and they still, they still have options. I think the point is, from all general managers' perspective, especially guys that are considering selling or have prospects that, I mean, have talent that other teams want, the fact is, is that because the starting pitching market isn't as deep and and... and enticing as it's, as maybe other years might have been, and because so many teams think they have a chance, there's a better chance that someone's going to overpay and, and grossly overpay to make them an offer that they can't refuse. And whether it's Dylan Cease or it's another pitcher in another lineup that you know, you've already been told is untouchable, I don't think anybody's truly untouchable in this market, when, especially when it comes to starting pitchers, because I think there are teams that are desperate. We saw the Angels and how desperate they are. They don't care what they're giving up at this point because they're trying to make sure that they make Otani happy, they make the situation enticing, and they make it a tough decision for him so they got a chance to resign him. Other teams are just flat out trying like the Rangers to be relevant, and with all the money they've already spent, they're like, what's a few more dollars here and there? We've got a deep farm system. We're going to give up whatever it takes to try and make our push more power to them for going for it. Alex says uh, Dana trying to throw off the scent. I could see that too. Yep. Like, I think it's very much in play. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Before we give our thoughts on the Graveman for Corey Lee trade, let's go out to the HRMP listener line for Chris. Chris, you're in the high with the Killer Bees. What's up, Chris? Yeah, what's going on, Angel? Hey, uh, Jeremy. When I looked at the, your Twitter page yesterday, and the lineup was one of the. Yes, uh, I I I just. Cannot believe that Diaz was taken out of the lineup and Jake Myers, after going three for three, was taken out. You know, Hunter Brown went seven innings scoreless with Diaz behind the plate. So you cannot, Dusty cannot continue to say that Diaz doesn't know how to catch a professional pitcher. And yesterday, when he was asked why Diaz was not in the lineup, he mentioned two things that to me just proves that the fan base is right and Dusty doesn't know what he's talking about because, for one, he said yesterday's lineup, the Sunday lineup, was predetermined. So, no matter what happened on Saturday, no, you know, it does not matter we scored 17 runs. It does not matter that Diaz got the scoring started with a two-run home run. None of that matters. None of that matters at all. The, the lineup was predetermined by Gary Kubiak. He used to predetermine the first 25 plays of his uh, script for the football game. And the other thing that Dusty said that really got my attention was that we have a veteran behind the plate and a young player cannot just push him out. And that the young player still needs seasoning and, can, and is not ready to play. So I just, you know, I, I, I don't understand... And I've emotionally taken a step back in my hopes for this year. My hopes are more for next year with a new head coach. Appreciate the call, Chris. I mean, it's one man's opinion, but I think that some of the guys' days off were predetermined. But overall, when you're looking at it, we know Dusty's going to Dusty. We, we know that the things that, that he does, he's not going to change his ways no matter how much pressure 
you know, you think he should feel or you're trying to put on him. He's just going to do things his way. Now, he's won a World Series for you. He did it last year. And I know it changed your way of thinking overall on him. But I think that overall, for me, I'm, I will be honest, but at the same time, I also know that what Dusty does in the regular season is entirely different than what he does in the playoffs. I don't think that this is a game changer that's costing you games per se. Yeah, it's different because you're playing from behind this year as, as opposed to being in such a big lead that Dusty could do whatever he wanted and no one was going to care as much. I think more people are more invested this year because they're playing from behind, so they're, they've got more concerns. But overall, to me, that's not what I'm worried about right now. I'm worried about how this team gets more depth, how this team improves starting pitching. Can they get a left-handed bat? Can they do what's necessary so that the ship is completely righted and they're clicking as best as all cylinders can be getting into the to September and October? Um, I think Dusty Baker's done a great job. There I said it. Like, and I'm not being silly. Like, I really think that Dusty Baker has done a good job with the Houston Astros this year. Uh, they, the amount of injuries that they've had, they've lost. Like, if they went into the season with a six-man rotation, they lost two of those six guys for the year, and they've lost three of those six guys, half of them, for a huge majority of the season. Jordan Alvarez has been gone for 40 games. Jose Altuve has been gone for a long period of time. You've had to rely on guys like Corey Jolks, Maria Sue Dubon. You've had to start Renel Blanco. You've had to start Brandon Belak. And this team is one game out of the, the, the lead in the American League West. Overall, Dusty Baker has done a really good job. Uh, Dusty Baker's had a good manager career. Like He's top 10 in wins. He's won a World Series. He's not, with all, he's not without fault, though. Like There's a lot of managers that are great that have flaws as well. And again, overall this year, Dusty Baker has done a tremendous job. So I want that to be very clear, my opinion of how Dusty Baker has managed this club in 2023. The Yiner Diaz-Martin Maldonado conversation, that's annoying because I think everybody can see how much better offensively Yiner Diaz is than Maldonado. And even if he's not the primary catcher, like there is a way to get Yiner Diaz 40% of the starts and start him a bunch at first and DH and make sure that he's in the lineup. Um, the pre-planned stuff... Like, I don't really mind that a whole lot. Now, you have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to adjust on the fly. A guy has three hits the night before with two dongs, and he was supposed to get the next day a day off. Okay, that's when you adjust on the fly. That's whenever you start to, you know, manage on vibes a little bit, which is supposed to be Dusty Baker's strength. Now, the pre-planned stuff, I don't mind. Like, because you have to make sure Jose Altuve is not playing 100% of the games. Same thing with Jordan Alvarez. You need to get Bregman off his feet every now and then, and that stuff has to be pre-planned. Now, again, you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And also, a lot of times, you're planning out your lineup more on who's on the mound for you than who's on the mound for the other guy. If Fromber Valdez is pitching that day, well, today to get Jordan Alvarez in left field and not your best defensive center fielder because Fromber's a ground ball guy. Now, when Christian Javier's pitching, that's a day when Jake Myers probably needs to play center field because you're going to get more fly balls. You want a better defensive outfield. So a lot of times we are kind of have blinders on, well, this is the lineup that we're going to put out there based on this guy pitching for the opposing team when at least half of the equation, maybe even more, is actually who's pitching for your team. Yeah, no, you're right. And, I, and I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to poo-poo on D Dusty. I didn't think you were. Right, but I'm just saying for the caller and for all of Twitter and social media that lose their mind, because, again, this is a different situation for this fan base. And so they're hypersensitive and they're hyper-focused on every little thing that they want to nitpick apart as a fan, and they have the right to do that. But it, it doesn't mean that it should alter the plan that Dusty Baker has or Dana Brown and Dusty have or whoever it might be and how they go about the rest of their business. It's still a damn good baseball team, and they're going to do what they're going to do, and guys need rest. And Dusty, as much as I've fought it in the past, too, with the way he gives days off, he's not going to change. And even if a guy's red hot, 
if he if it's supposed to be his day off, he's going to get it off. Now, I do agree with you to the, from the standpoint of he's got to be able to be versatile enough to change. He's got to be able to change that. If there's an injury or there's a sudden need, you know, you've got to be able to say, okay, I'll give him a day off later on, or maybe this, you know, a couple games from now, or maybe the next game, and I'll alter my plan accordingly. But the one thing that I do hate is when a guy's red hot and you sit him down. I've always hated that. I've always vocalized that. But overall, where this team is at, based on what they've had to overcome, and I've been harping on the fact that it hasn't just been one Cinderella story or one unexpected guy that stepped up. It's been more like five to eight guys that you never would have thought at the start of the year were going to be key components to this team being successful, but they've all done their job and more to get you where you are now. You're in a great position, and you have a chance to secure home field for for everything except potentially Baltimore. They're still within reach. Everything is right there in the palm of your hand, ready for you to control your own destiny. So go do it. If you get healthy, it's a huge step in the right direction whether you make a move or not. We've already said where we thought they could use help. We'll see if Dana Brown's able to do that. But you also have to realize you're not going to give up the potential and tie your hands for the next couple years when this run could easily continue for at least that long just to mortgage everything for this year and for another run when you know that there's still plenty of opportunities to get better. Dusty haters are in the uh, text line right now. 9647, the Ashes won the past two years despite Dusty, not because of Dusty. Dre, this ain't a lifetime achievement award. He's holding the team back a bit. Not many managers would have the Astros one game out of first place, missing 40 games with Jordan, tons of games without Tuve. Half of their rotation's been out for a majority of the season. I think Joe's point is spot on. Him trying to explain his decisions cost him more ire from the fan base than just doing what he does. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. We'll get to the great. If you want to weigh in on this, you can. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. We'll also get to the Graveman conversation, the Graveman trade. Uh, do we like the trade? What is what is Dusty's circle of trust right now? Too. What's the pecking order in the bullpen now that they have Graveman? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.